mastering your emotions so you can be a safe space for the feminine mm, is yes. actually to me the art of masculinity so i would think it means two things to me one it's always like in the eye of the beholder so realize that it's okay to have a different view than somebody else two it's always being created and recreated uh i i think it means an openness to growth an openness to learning an openness to looking at what is masculinity in me and having curiosity about what parts are serving me and what parts maybe aren't serving me so well anymore. And so the art of masculinity is truly that. If you can master being a lion and a lamb, you've mastered masculinity. The art of masculinity to me means knowing how to gracefully dance between both the feminine flow and the structure of the masculine. This is The Art of Masculinity with your host, Johnny Elsasser. All right, everyone, welcome back to The Art of Masculinity. Today's guest is Jake Kaufman. He is a men's coach and does not believe we can achieve our way to our full potential. We die our way there. Most coaches focus on shifting behaviors and habit optimization, but these are ultimately symptoms of our internal beliefs, identity, and survival strategies. In order to achieve true transformation to occur, we must unbecome or die to the egoic identity that we rely upon in order to achieve, succeed, and push for more. Jake is an awesome human being. Obviously, he's up on the show. And number two, we have a really in-depth conversation about men's coaching. This is obviously somebody who's been in the men's coaching space for quite a while. And we do get into a lot of different topics we have not dove into on the art of masculinity. So Definitely recommend taking some notes on this one. And we also make a lot of comments about one of our favorite movies. And you got to take a listen to find out which movie that is. We go in depth on there and how that has shown us the three stages of development for men and just in general. So going to enjoy this one, guys. I know that. And as always, I'll see you all around the corner. All right, everyone, welcome back to The Art of Masculinity. Today, we have Jake Kaufman on with us today. What's going on, brother? How are you doing? I'm doing good, Johnny. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, cool, brother. Um, you know, the people got to hear a little bit of your intro before we kicked off, and I want to get them to know you a little better through what mm. I call the manly round. Uh, maybe awesome. a little different questions than you've answered before on podcasts or for other people. So you ready to kick that off? Let's do it. Okay, cool. All right. Your first question is, what is your spirit animal and why? My spirit animal is actually a hummingbird uh, because they're incredibly, incredibly quick and agile. They actually have no predators, believe it or not. And there's actually very little that we know about them. So they're kind of a mystery. We don't really know much about their migratory patterns. So they're very energetic. Obviously, they're very agile, um, but they're a little bit of a mystery. Mm, I, I vaguely remember something along the lines of like the hummingbird being part of the maybe the instigation of Darwin's investigation to evolution, I want to say. I think it was canaries but that might have been a part of it i yeah. i can't remember i can't recall correctly I can't but so but i do I, mean, I do remember 
Yeah, I do remember it was I do remember it was birds though, because they were um, they were yeah. studying the evolution of their beaks. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it was um, that's why I thought it was something because it was something with the hummingbird and its tongue and the way that it comes out mm -hmm. and it gets the uh, flowers and stuff like that. So yeah, I think that was yeah, it's super interesting. I think that was a huge part of how he developed. Um, the theory of natural selection, right? And that the, yeah. the strong, the strongest ultimately survive those, those that adapt. So. Yeah. Yeah. Right. My listeners are well-versed in my opinion. I believe that Darwin's got, uh, I believe he's got validity in his. And then I think epigenetics, uh, Jean-Pierre Lamarck, who started that, mm -hmm. they called him a yep. you know crazy person back in the day, but you know, now we're looking at epigenetics like, Oh shit. Like that actually may have played a massive role as well in evolution a combination of both. I think. But, yeah, totally. Absolutely. That's really awesome. I love the hummingbird too. That's a great one, man. They're majestic little creatures. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, man. All right. Your next question is this song comes on, you actually have to start breaking out and singing along with it, not just like tuning into it in your head. Oh, I love this question. Um, I'll go with the most recent one that comes to mind simply because it's Halloween. So it only makes sense that we talk about this because I'm dressing up as Hugh Jackman from, from the greatest showman, my uh, girlfriend, my girlfriend as his wife and, and her two little kids as, as other characters from the show. And so uh, I'd have to go with the greatest showman theme song because oh, <laughs> it's so good, dude. It's so good, man. We spent yesterday. I can't make this up probably an hour um, if not more, in the living room, dancing to the soundtrack, you know, all dressed up in our Halloween costumes. The kids were just going nuts. And, you know, it's a great movie. And I really resonate with Hugh Jackman's character in it because he has to overcome so much um, trial and tribulation in the process of chasing after and accomplishing his dream. And, you know, I think every entrepreneur on some level can can relate to that. I know I can. Oh, absolutely. Dude, secretly, I've never talked about it on the show. So you're getting me to open up on my own show. Is that I love that movie. One of my favorite movies of all time. And the Same. soundtrack, I've literally worked out to that soundtrack. It's so good. So good. Didn't it's it look awesome? awesome? I, I wouldn't be surprised if it did. The real question is, have you listened to the soundtrack of the remixes for all of those songs? The, no, not the remixes. So no joke, all of the songs on the soundtrack are remade and remixed by popular artists, like modern day artists, like Pink. Interesting. Um, oh gosh, who else? But they're all modern day artists and they do like their own take on all of the songs from the soundtrack and they are awesome. So I highly, highly recommend that you, that you like download the remix album for the soundtrack to The Greatest Showman because it's, it's so great. Oh, that's dope. Yeah. Thank you for that recommendation. I can't wait, man. It's super good. Now you got me all fired up to lift to that, that uh, soundtrack today. Again. <laughs> I love it, dude. My wife and I would dance to it and stuff back when we were in the Virginia area and everything. We'd like make little silly like reels and stuff, but it was yeah. good, man. That, that was a freaking awesome movie. Anybody that hasn't seen that, you got to check that out. I, I totally agree. And you know, his spirit in that movie, Hugh Jackman's character is just, it's, it's so good. Cause again, you know, it, epitomizes like all that we have to overcome like both within ourselves but also external challenges and circumstances that are out of our control in an effort to you know achieve our dream or fulfill our purpose so uh, i totally agree with you well and i think like while we're on it too it's it's a very big uh lesson for men in in general because there's that 
you know, there's that perseverance, constant perseverance. Mm -hmm. There's the, the ridicule where like men don't do things. I think they don't get out of their mm -hmm. comfort zones because they they're scared to be ridiculed or be mm -hmm. um, judged. But yep. like he was doing something that was so outrageous. Like he's being yep. ridiculed. He's being judged. He's being made fun of. He's not supposed to be in mm -hmm. these circles and he still just keeps going and putting himself there and he keeps getting better and better and better. Yep. And uh, it was just, it was like that to me, it was like breaking kind of a lot of these barriers, I think, and limitations men put on themselves yeah. in particular men. Um, yeah. Because we, we really just, you know, we'll get into it because we're going to talk about this egoic structure. Uh, yeah. But it's just fascinating to me, the lessons in that when, when I'm talking to you about it, like, wow, that actually is yeah. truly like kind of what guys struggle with a lot. Oh, totally. And this is like a perfect segue because if you recall toward, you know, the latter half of that movie, he's become successful now. So he's, he's overcome like the initial challenges and hurdles of like getting Barnum and Bailey up and off the ground. Right. Yeah. Um, well, what would become Barnum and Bailey? Right. So he's achieved his initial success. He's selling out show after show after show. And then his ego kind of takes over and he really starts to reach and push and overextend himself in a way mm. that causes him to expose himself and the company to too much risk. If you remember, he attracts the, um, the British singer, I forget her name in the movie, but yeah. he, attra he attracts her and he decides that they're going to go on this tour across the country and he leaves Zac Efron's character in charge of the circus, but he has to take out like this massive loan in an attempt to like book out all of the theaters in advance where this British singer is going to perform at. And he exposes himself to way too much risk that ends up kind of bankrupting him in the end. And he has to, if you remember the end of the movie, um, the circus burns down the building and he has to like go 50-50 with yeah. Zac Efron's character in order to save the business. And so I think it's an incredible lesson because I totally agree with you that men often don't, challenge themselves enough or willingly jump outside of their comfort zone in an attempt to accomplish their dreams, start a business, whatever it may be. Um, but oftentimes men way too often overextend themselves, push, reach from what I've discovered in an attempt to overcompensate and mask pain and insecurity. Mm, yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, and I think that there's at some point in our lives where we're told that, you know, that pain and insecurity can never be addressed and it can yeah. only be addressed through modalities in which it's almost secretive. Right. And so people mm -hmm. think you're on a tail end spiral in your life. Like yeah. you look at him and you're like, gosh, man, he's going bankrupt. He's doing all these, making that these really bold, risky moves. And internally, right. it's just basically because he's not addressing some of the insecurities that he felt of being less than when he was younger right? And growing up as like Correct. a street sweeper and like, a, you yeah. know, all that stuff. So it's, it's very fascinating. It, well, it's, it's really perfect when you think about it, because traditionally there's three stages in the personal development or spiritual development journey, which is initially you overcompensate, mm. which of course we saw him do, right? Because yeah. he had to, he had to do whatever it took to get the business up and off the ground. And, and oftentimes he had to kind of go to ridiculous um, measures in order to do that. Right. So he yeah. overcompensated. Right. And then of course we saw later in the movie, he 
overreached and exposed himself to way too much financial risk um, in an attempt to grow the business. And then you decompensate. So initially you overcompensate, you decompensate, and then you recompensate. And this is actually the three steps in any type of archetype when it comes to a personal development or spiritual spiritual development journey, um, when it comes to like the warrior archetype. And so we see this play out in um, The Greatest Showman. It's probably going to make you appreciate it even more when you go back and watch it, how yeah. he initially overcompensates, he decompensates when he goes bankrupt and, mm -hmm. you know, the business kind of crumbles, it, the building burns to the ground, and then he has a massive ego check, right? <laughs> of course. Yeah. And then he recompensates, right? Because then he, he really taps into humility and asking for support and being vulnerable and all of these characteristics that are oftentimes wrongly misattributed to weakness. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's where uh, that humility is where most guys, I don't ever, I, I don't know that I see or hear, and, and we can talk about maybe your experience in coaching as well mm -hmm. with um, high level executives and men's coaches and men's coaching, yeah. but I don't necessarily see a lot of men recompensate. I, I don't know that they ever understand the humility side of things mm -hmm. as opposed, because my opinion is I see them when they get to the recompensate, they take it as shame and guilt as opposed to saying, mm -hmm. Oh, what do I learn? Right. And like, how do I recompensate? You get that too? Yeah. It's a really good question. I'm glad we're talking about this. Um, the answer is yes. And the reason that I typically have found for that is because people are trying to recompensate before they decompensate, before they mm. prop, before they properly decompensate. Because the humbling comes during the decompensation phase, right? Mm -hmm. this, is, this is when you die to your ego identity. Now, mm. <clears throat> traditional men's work portrays this very, very beautifully, actually. But a lot of modern men's work is really predicated on recompensating, but before you've properly decompensated. Um, now, let me give you an example of what that looks like. So the focus on a lot of modern day men's work is on habits, behaviors, cultivating a higher degree of self-discipline, analyzing the areas in your life that need improvement, right? The four F's, what is it? Finances, yeah. family, fitness, um, yeah. you know, friendships, or things yeah. like that, right? Yeah. So let's analyze all of these different external areas of your life that need improvement. And then let's talk about the, the habits, the behaviors that we can institute in order for you to improve in those areas. Well, that's recompensation, mm. right? But what we haven't talked about and what needs to be talked about first and foremost is why, why haven't you been at that yeah. level in the first place? Because what you'll find is it has everything to do with their internal belief system, their identity, their perception of self and their sovereignty. Mm -hmm. right? So identity, identity answers the question, who am I? Sovereignty answers the question of what am I? These three things due to unprocessed or unhealed trauma and pain prevent someone from recompensating properly. 
So they may experience significant growth in those areas, right? Family, fitness, finances, et cetera, et cetera. They may experience incredible benefits, but their belief system and their identity are the same. So what do we typically end up see happening when the coaching is removed or when the accountability that you experience in a coaching relationship or in a group coaching program in a community is removed? What often ends up happening? That person regresses, mm-hmm. right? Or their growth stalls and they don't continue on in that trajectory because they haven't properly decompensated first. Now, I don't think this is the intention of a lot of modern day men's coaches. They just don't realize what they're doing, right? Mm-hmm. They're, 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 supporting with, they're supporting their clients and optimizing their external environment without realizing that it's the person's internal environment that is responsible for those things. So mm-hmm. if, all you, if all you do is focus on the external mm-hmm. without addressing the internal, right? It's kind of like building a house on sand. You can build a house on sand, but what happens when the storm comes? boom, it's washed away. Yeah. Do you feel that um, many of these coaches that are kind of doing that and obviously not doing it with an insidious intent, but doing it because doing it probably because that's what worked for them, but they didn't actually understand that part of what worked for them was they actually decompensated and they just don't (laughs) want to talk about that is, do you think that might be part of it? I 100%. Yeah. Cause I mean, if, if you think about it, if I'm coaching you, um, without the proper training awareness, et cetera, how am I going to coach you? It's likely going to be through the lens of what worked for me, right? <laughs> of right. course. Exactly. Um, that's, that's very natural and normal, but that doesn't mean that it's the right approach, right? Cause well, you and it I doesn't are- mean, it doesn't mean you didn't actually properly decompensate. You just didn't know, right? Like that maybe Correct. it would have been what you did. Correct. Yes. Because my process could have been right. I absolutely could have decompensated, but like you just mentioned or alluded to, I didn't actually know that that's what happened. Yeah. And, and so I don't have this awareness of like, okay, what part of my process in achieving these goals actually allowed for that to happen? You know, was it, was it the focus on the external? Well, yeah, part of that, but that's a natural byproduct, right? Because when you, when you start to shift and change your beliefs and your perception of self, your actions, your decisions, your behaviors are naturally going to follow suit. You're going to start to adopt healthier habits. You're going to start to make more productive decisions when it comes to time scheduling, you know, or a routine, adopting a routine all on your own Mm -hmm. because the software has changed, right? The the input has changed. So of course the output is going to change as well. Um, So the question is, yeah, I don't think most people realize or a lot of men's coaches like ourselves realize that they actually decompensated um, per se. And now they're supporting someone else in, in trying to recompensate. Um, but also it's important to understand that like recompensating is sexy, <laughs> right? Like <laughs> yeah. it's, it's super sexy. Cause that's where all the results are, right? That's where like right. the finance, that's where the, the financial a hundred percent. Yep. That's where like the financial abundance is, a greater degree of like happiness, fulfillment, and satisfaction, uh, romantic relationships, you know, that's where all of all of the tangible results that we're all looking for, uh, that we all egoically desire, that's where all that stuff lives. Mm-hmm. But in the decompensation pa- in phase, 
it is literally defined by suffering, pain, and darkness. Mm. It's almost like, uh, it's almost like, um, somebody tossing a seed for like a fruit tree and throwing it on top of the soil and just hoping that it grows instead of actually burying it in the soil and then yep. watering it and then allowing it to grow. And you're just like, well, why is my fruit not coming up? And you're like, bro, you yeah. just dropped it on top of the soil. You didn't bury this thing. Yeah. And for some people it works, right? Mm -hmm. But that's just, it's kind of by happenstance because their beliefs and their identity just so happen to be aligned with their conscious desires. Mm. Right? But I mean, you've been in the coaching space for a while. I I've been in it for quite a while. If the person's unconscious belief system is not in alignment with their conscious desires, inevitably there's going to be a lack of congruence and they're going to experience resistance. They're going to experience challenge and they're going to struggle to reach their goals. It's inevitable. And so typically in these programs, you see like 10% of people like crush it and they're like all stars, mm -hmm. but it has, it actually has very little to do with the coach. It just so happens that that person has like the character traits due to their identity, their belief system, their sovereignty that is required for success to happen. Right. Yeah. But then what about everybody else? <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. So like, what about everybody else? You know, you're going to get those people who through a sheer amount of like willpower and account strict accountability that are, that are going to get results. But where are they a year later? Because mm -hmm. if those habits and behaviors and results aren't sustaining themselves a year later, what good is it? And so this is actually a fundamental part of the hero's journey. If you're familiar with it, mm -hmm. um, the archetypical hero's journey, it's, it's the process of going through the cave, yeah. right? Everybody glorifies and magnifies, you know, killing the dragon, conquering the kingdom, finding the treasure, you know, whatever, um, whatever that looks like for you, you know, climbing the mountaintop, you know, whatever your mountaintop is, everybody glorifies that. Um, but the going through the cave process, that's really necessary for the hero to die that's painful. And very few people actually want to talk about that, let alone do it. Yeah. I think there's a couple of important pieces here that I would want to clarify for men. Um, or I mean, have you kind of clarified yeah. this for men, because I love your take on this is the, let's start with the first piece. So they're not, they're not actually talking about, you know, the, the cave. And uh, the question is, is it, you know, a lot of people want to use these terms of like being in the shadows, in the darkness, doing the work yeah. there and all that stuff, but they're not necessarily talking about what that actually means for anybody. Sure. So can we clarify what that looks like yeah. for guys? Because there's a lot of guys that are probably listening and be like, dude, Jake, mm -hmm. I've heard this term before. I know sure. what you're talking about, but I, I just hear yeah. about slaying the dragon and I hear about like, oh yeah, yeah there's the shadows and you got to go in the darkness, but no yeah. one tells me like what that means. Like nobody mm -hmm. tells me like, what's the tangible thing there for me to yeah. actually visualize and see, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So can we dive a little bit into that? Yeah, it's a great question. And I'm happy you brought that up. Well, first and foremost, I think there is this very common misperception that you can like, quote unquote, do the work through reading books or journaling or, or podcasts, um, which while helpful, it's just not true right. because we all have to have a mirror that can properly point out our blind spots and our unconscious beliefs that are 
by very nature limiting that prevent us from excelling in any one area or multiple areas in our life. So it's important to know how the ego works. How does the ego keep us trapped at the level that we're at or in existing behavior patterns, right? It hides things from us. It has to, right? It has to. And where does it hide it? It hides it in our unconscious, our unconscious mind. And so a lot of men think they're doing the work through reading and journaling and, and listening, listening to podcasts and these other things, but they're not really, they're adding to their conscious awareness, but not a lot of healing is actually occurring. And this is what the ego wants, right? To convince you that like you're doing a ton of work when really you're just kind of spinning your wheels. Yeah. Right. So there, there is that. Um, but to answer your question more specifically, like what does doing the work really look like? Honestly, it looks like therapy and it looks like coaching in my experience. I don't think anything is an adequate supplement or replacement to therapy and coaching. And obviously therapy and coaching are very different um, in, in nature and in essence. In one Example, you're working with a clinician, with a licensed professional, and in the other, you're typically working with someone who has achieved the success that you, you wish to aspire to, or who has been there and is capable of guiding and supporting you in getting there. Yeah. So I don't think anything is an adequate replacement or supplement to those very things, you know. One of my former mentors said, you know, if you think hiring a coach is expensive, wait, wait until you get the bill for not hiring a coach. Yeah. And, and I think the biggest thing about that is you have to be consistent, right? Mm -hmm. Like imagine, imagine going to the gym, right? If you want to see consistent, long-term sustainable results, you have to keep going back. You can't just go for three months and be like, all right, <laughs> like I'm good. If you want to, yeah, right. If you want to continue to see those gains and those improvements and, and continue to put on muscle and, and watch your results increase, you know, like the amount of weight that you're able to lift and your strength increase, you have to continue to be consistent. And furthermore, you have to adopt, you have to adopt and incorporate other powerful, other powerful modalities like supplementation, like diet and nutrition in an effort to fast track you and getting there. Mm -hmm. with, with your own personal development or spiritual development, the same is true, right? You have to be consistent in going to therapy. You have to be consistent in, in getting coaching. I mean, I, I've been in this world for like seven plus years now, and I don't think there's ever been a time where I haven't gone without a coach. You know, I've taken vacation, right? like I've gone on a vacation yeah. for like a week or two, but I've always come back just like with the gym. Yeah. You know, I've taken a vacation uh, and I didn't work out while at the gym. I might've taken my running shoes with me, you know, or worked mm -hmm. out at the, worked out at the resort gym. Um, but there are other times where I give myself permission to take a break, but then mm -hmm. what do I do after that break? I go, I'm right back at it and I get right mm -hmm. back to it. And the, so the same thing is absolutely true and necessary and important when it comes to your own personal growth and self-development. Yeah, it's profound. And there's a fine line too between between just finding a coach and getting a real coach, I guess. You know, and that's that's the other question I want to give, I want to toss over into your court is like, yeah. okay, so a guy's sitting here and they're like, all right, Jake, this is great information. I love this. 
you obviously yep. got the, the the expertise to steer me in the right mm -hmm. direction. Yep. But what am I looking for to even find uh, if I don't mm -hmm. go the therapy route, right? Like, I, yep. you know, if I don't go the therapy route, I'm like, I'd love to get a coach, a men's coach. Sure. What is it that they're they're looking for to decipher even mm -hmm. if this dude's for real, if he's got the experience and training that's mm -hmm. going to actually help him get to the place, or if he's just yeah. maybe he's a he's a smooth talker, you know, maybe yeah. he's a great salesman. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a really good question. Um, I think it comes down to a couple of different factors. I think it's I think it's overplayed that you that you need to have a coach who is at the success at the level of success that you want to get to or has been to where you want to go. I think that's overplayed a little bit. Um, if you're going to hire a consultant, right? And a consultant is very different from a coach. A consultant is someone who comes into, let's say your business and who tells you exactly what to do and how to do it in an effort to achieve like a very, very specific goal. And mm -hmm. that's, di that's different. That's very important, right? You want to make sure that the strategies that they're giving you actually work. So mm -hmm. it's much more quantifiable when it comes to consulting, but when it comes to coaching, I don't think that's nearly as necessary with coaching. The primary role of a coach is not to tell you what to do. It's to ask you incredibly powerful evoking questions that guide you back to your authentic truth mm. and to help you disarm whatever internal barriers or challenges prevent you from ascending to the next level in life, whether that's in your health, in your wealth, or in your relationships. So number one, it's, it's kind of understanding the difference between those very specific things, therapy, consulting, coaching, and which one's going to serve you the best and which one's going to serve you the most. Um, because at the same time, coaching and consulting can play off one another really beautifully if you hire the right person. Uh, you know, someone who can really oscillate between those two roles, especially if you're an independent business owner. Uh, I'm sure you've worked with coaches before where like one minute they're, they're being very precise and specific around like what you should do to like take your business to the next level, to have a greater impact and serve more people. Mm -hmm. And on the next call, you're talking about like an internal personal challenge that you're experiencing and they're kind of sitting back and they're taking more of a passive role and they're simply elevating your level of conscious awareness in an attempt to create a perspective shift, which is inevitably going to lead to a behavior shift, right? Mm -hmm. The second thing is being very specific about what it is that you want to accomplish as a result of your work together. Because of course, that's going to inform the type of support you hire, whether it's a therapist, a coach, or a consultant. Um, and I think something else is adequate expectations. You know, they say that unmet expectations is, is the, the root of all heartbreak. And so when it comes to hiring the right person, um, I think having a conversation ahead of time really helps. Um, if you're not convinced after that conversation that the person can help you, I think looking into their background, as far as clients that they've served in the past, social proof from people who have worked with them in the past, and what are they saying? What are the results that they are getting? Right. as a result of, of working with that person. Um, but 
a lot of it comes down to trust between you and the other person, but also internal trust. Because at the end of the day, it's not your coach's job to get you results. It's your job. Yeah. Right. Coaching like any, it's like anything else. What you get out of it is a direct reflection of, of what you bring into it. And, you know, this yeah. is something that I cover with my clients before our first phone call so that there's never any room for a victim conversation because of course our brains are actually default wired to a victim conversation. It's called external locus of control where we blame other people or other circumstances that are outside of us for our results. That's like biologically default wired into our brains. And so it does take a higher level of conscious awareness in order to, to overcome that. And so by setting those expectations up front with all of our clients, it removes that possibility from ever happening because we can always go back and say, hey, listen, we covered this in your onboarding call before we ever had a coaching call. And so these are our expectations of you while you're in the program to, to take radical responsibility, to take extreme ownership over your results and getting out of this what you hope. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's beautifully said. And I think anybody that's taking notes right now, that was a perfect explanation of really kind of how to approach that conversation, approach that um, internal dialogue, even of what you're trying to do and get out of some, some form of, you know, uh, connection in that way, whether it's therapy, mm -hmm. coaching or consultant, but that's beautifully, beautifully said, brother. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Thanks, man. And I'll, I'll add one more thing, you know, cause I've had this come up in conversations before with past clients where, you know, there's this big talk around like safety and the need yeah. for like a safe space within a coaching container. I always tell my clients, I am not responsible for your felt sense of safety. You are right. Cause only, you know, your boundaries, right? Like yeah. I don't know your boundaries. Um, cause there's so many different boundaries that one can have that it's kind of impossible for me to know what all of them are. It's my responsible, it's my responsibility as your coach to push you to your edge, mm -hmm. which looks like creating a brave space. So I create a brave space in which I push you to your edge and I invite you into jumping outside of your comfort zone in an effort to reach the next level, whatever that looks like for you personally. You're ultimately responsible for saying, hey, Jake, we're going a little bit too fast. I'd like, I'd like to take a step back. Yeah. And I'm like, of course, absolutely. We can go as fast as you want, but you're ultimately responsible for your safety, not your coach. Yeah. So that's, I, I think that's something that's very important as well. Well, I think that's huge in today's conversation. I think uh, a safe space is just a cop out of bullshit that people push on you because they want you to stay like society never wanted you to be bold and be courageous because guess what? You're not a, you're not a cog in the wheel. They need right. you to be a cog in the wheel. And I say they, it's like, yes, yeah. that's the governments, the corporations, your whole curriculum mm -hmm. of education was structured around being a cog in the wheel. They don't want you to be a free thinker. Therefore, when they say safe space, it's just to condition you to stay in that comfort zone that's kept you doing the same shit over and over and over. Yep. And what you're saying is like, hey, no, I want to create a courageous, I want to create a brave space because guess what? Yep. That's what creates change. That's what gets you Correct. out of that comfort. That's what gets you out of yes. the cyclical 
environment that's caused all the problems you're experiencing even paid for me to come into your life. That's, you know, I think that was amazing because that's, that really frustrates that safe space bullshit. I'm like, bro, Mm -hmm. yeah, you safe space. You want to save space. Don't fucking call me. Stay in your safe space. Like stay in everything that's keeping you in that comfort zone. That's really caused the issues in your life and the issues in your relationship. I don't want to be part of it. If that's what you want to do. That's not what I totally. Absolutely. Yeah. Because when you think about it, that that's where you grow, right? When, when you move out of your comfort zone, obviously everyone has their own window of tolerance as far as what that ultimately looks like and how much you are able to withstand, right? Sure. Like how much of this can I take and, and still feel safe, right? That's a, that's a very real conversation. And it's important to have some level of, um, you know, trauma training when it comes to like, how much can I push a person until it goes from, you know, risk to recklessness, or it becomes stretchy, and it goes to debilitating, because the minute it becomes, you know, debilitating, then of course, the coaching becomes ineffective. But absolutely, yeah, it's my job to push you to your edge. And it's your job to tell me how much you are capable of withstanding before I need to take my foot off the gas or you need a break, right? Because the last thing I want to do is push you past your window of tolerance because what is that going to initiate? It's going to initiate a survival response, right? Fight, Mm -hmm. flight, freeze, fawn. And then it, it, it totally becomes ineffective at that point. Well, yeah. And there's, there is like, I get that, but there's also the point debilitating in my opinion, if you're pushed to debilitation, then you've been pushed way past your, your fringe, like you've gone way past the boundary. That's something that I think is very, is very different conversation. But I think the boundary on a safety is saying like, in all reality, what it is, is, is it's never actually saying that, you know, cause none of us know where our boundaries are until we get Correct. pushed to a limit. So like, totally I'm like, true. Hey, Jake, you're pushing me out of my safe zone, but yet I'm not really that uncomfortable. And I'm just saying it, that's a different, right. that's what I think yes. that's where we're getting the conversation uh, to for men is to say, yeah. Hey, when you're telling me I'm feeling unsafe or this is like, Oh my gosh, this doesn't feel great and stuff like that. But you're like at a level four and you're not at right. your 10. Like that's a yep. different conversation. And that's, that to me is totally. the cop out that I see a lot of people yes. saying these safe spaces exist. Yep. I, I couldn't agree more. The, the distinction that I really appreciate and that I've landed on is the difference between stretchy and straining, right? Mm-hmm. Cause when you think about a muscle, you have to stretch it to grow it. You have to, right? You have to be willing to get uncomfortable and be pushed to your edge and then past your edge. If we're going to achieve growth, we don't want to strain it though, because that's where injury happens, right? If you go to the gym and you strain a muscle, it's, it's very likely that you injured yourself to, to whatever degree. And there has to be a prolonged period of healing. And that's what makes the difference is the timetable for recovery. It's very normal to go to the gym and really push yourself hard, go past your edge and need a day or two to recover before you can go back again and and let's say work out that same muscle group, right? But if you go to the gym and you work out really hard and you strain your muscle and and you can't go back for a couple of weeks, you probably pushed yourself too hard, right? Mm -hmm. And so we want it to be difficult, but we don't want it to be debilitating. We wanna stretch the muscle, we don't wanna strain the muscle. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You want the lactic acid buildup, but you don't want the tearing of a, a ligament or a, you know, or a tendon, right? Like right. that's the, yep. what you're looking for. You want that recovery to happen because that's where the growth takes place. But no, that's yeah. beautifully said. Yeah. Beautiful Thanks, man. And you know, the same is true for us personally, uh, in terms of like the financial investments that we make, for example. Like, I don't know about you, but the the best financial investments that I've ever made have always doubled as like the scariest. <laughs> oh, for sure. You know? Yeah. Um, and in, in that very nature, I'm being stretched, right? It's, it's uncomfortable. It's difficult for me because I have, I haven't been there before. Right. Mm -hmm. My identity hasn't caught up yet to the person, you know, that has done that, whatever, whatever that is. You know, um, whether it's, you know, Jake who has deadlifted is part of the thousand deadlift club, right? Which is mm. three deadlifts um, of whatever it is, 333 pounds and change. You know, yeah. my identity hasn't caught up to that yet. Or whether it's Jake who has spent six figures a year on, on a coach, right? My identity hasn't caught up yet to that result. And yeah. in that, I experience an incredible level uh, of discomfort, difficulty, et cetera, uh, simply because I've never done that before. But once I have, that's where the identity shift occurs that I can no longer go back from, you know? Yeah. And now all of a sudden I elevate in terms of my beliefs, my yeah. perception of self, which of course influences my level of self-confidence, which is just self-trust. And I'm able to grow that much, that much quicker. So the mm -hmm. same is true, like when we, cause we've been talking kind of about, you know, physical fitness and muscle groups as a metaphor um, for how we also grow personally and how we expand exponentially. Yeah, no, dude, that's such a, it's been like this in and of itself. So many men are going to understand this concept so much better. I believe out of how you explained it, that it's going to be a real tangible outcome for them that are listening. So I appreciate the guidance and like the picture you set here, it's very, obviously you do this for a living. So it's very clear mm -hmm. that you're able to give us a visual that makes sense mm -hmm. to us. And that's where I think the power lies. I think that's where a lot of guys have missed the mark because they couldn't understand it in a way that you mm -hmm. kind of laid it out in this episode. And it's been um, just beautifully, beautifully said. Brother. Well, one of the other things I want to jump to as we're, we're winding down here, geez, yeah. I can't even believe we're winding down. Um, was that, you know, we talked a little bit already in this episode about that egoic death, right? And I yeah. think this is another term that gets thrown around way too much, in my opinion, yep. because the I think the plant medicine world uses it way too much. Sure. Um, and, and it just kind of like takes deteriorates the value of it. But can we talk to guys a little bit and explain kind of what we're referring to when we talk about that egoic death, you know, kind of giving them another, you know, again, another visual of what this truly looks like in real life, as opposed to just hearing it as a very esoteric term. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and this will tie a really beautiful bow on what we've been talking about. So we talked about, you know, how in any spiritual, spiritual development or personal development journey, it starts with overcompensation. So yeah. when we're, when we're really young children, we develop a personality. Well, your personality is not who you are authentically. It's who you think you've needed to become in an attempt to be loved and accepted. And this starts with our parents or our primary caregivers. And then, of course, as we grow older, acceptance from our peer group and our friends. And then as we get even older, 
how do we become successful and thrive in our careers, right? And, and in our romantic yeah. relationships with our partner. So, and this is referred to in Jungian psychology, if you're familiar, to the admired identity. Who do I need to be? What do I need to do? And how do I need to be perceived in order to be loved, accepted, and successful? The issue is, and this all happens in the overcompensation phase, right? The issue for most men is that most men never actually break out of or break free from this overcompensation stage, right? Because mm. the admired identity is just another way of saying egoic identity. Because we form this personality or this persona, which literally means mask, as a survival strategy, right? Because when you think about primitive society, if you were cast out, it was a death sentence. So acceptance was literally survival, right? Now, obviously, that is not nearly as big of a threat nowadays uh, as it was back in, in primitive tribal times. But our psychology hasn't caught up yet. And so we're still doing this unconsciously as children. And yet as adults, most men do not actually break free from this egoic identity. So what does it have men do? It has men overly focus on accomplishment, achievement, success, image, reputation, all of these external things that in the long run really don't matter because it's all about the self. Mm -hmm. It's all about what can I do for me? How do I prop myself up in an attempt to like be admired? The decompensation phase is all about going through this necessary suffering where you dismantle the egoic identity, who you have become up until that point in your life in an attempt to be loved, accepted, and successful. Well, that requires a ton of pain because obviously the personality, these different masks that you have learned to wear Right. Let's just say, like, think about in high school, you always have the class clown. Well, that's a mask. You have like the perfectionist. That's just a mask. You have the athlete, the high performer. That's just a mask, too. Right. It's dying to those things so that we can step into this second half of life journey so that we can recompensate. Mm -hmm. Right. And we can step into giving, generosity, fulfilling our life's purpose or our higher purpose, philanthropy, all of these things that, you know, we hear about all the time with incredibly successful people where they achieve this massive amount of financial success or external success. And yet for some reason, internally, they're very unhappy and unfulfilled. Yep. Right. Why is that? Because they've been disproportionately focused on these first half of life pursuits, right? Success, achievement, accomplishment, image, reputation. And they haven't been focused on these second half of life pursuits, which is all about being in service to others, giving to others, charitable contribution. And like I talked about, your higher purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now, the first half of life, this overcompensation phase, it's actually really important that you that you do that, right? In terms of like the psychological development of like the warrior, right? 
but the warrior has to die in order for him to become what a king mm-hmm. right he's got to die and that death is really painful because that's where you kind of experience this crisis of identity that we hear a lot of people talk about right with a midlife crisis yeah right um all of a sudden like things just start to fall apart and you know if you're familiar with again Jungian psychology but a modern day example would be Richard Rohr he basically says that you have to get to the point within yourself where you encounter some type of situation circumstance person or event that you do not know how to deal with based on your current mental resources or physical resources you just cannot solve for it mm-hmm. and what are you met with in that moment you're met with a ton of pain you're met with insecurity and pain because the ego identity was literally developed in an attempt to avoid all that. Yep. But the way that we step into our higher purpose or our higher selves, like our God-given identity, is by confronting that pain, mm. is by like dying to that pain and being consumed by it and refined by it so that we can let go of all these external material entrapments of the first half of life where it's really kind of all about us and step into the second half of life where it's all about others, right? It's kind of letting go of our, what Richard Rohr refers to as our personal salvation project. Yeah, I'm going to impact a million lives or I'm going to, you know, donate six figures to charity. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, right? It's just that most people, a lot of people do them so that they can feel good about themselves, right? Or so yeah. that they can show other people, look what I did. Right? Yeah. And it's all about dying to our desire or our need to do that so that we can be perceived in a certain way. 100%. And I think a lot of people even do it, not really authentically. They say those things. Sometimes they don't even fulfill them. They just don't even, right. they say those things just inauthentically because they feel that if they do that, then the universe will give them what they want, which is really more money, right? They don't want to just right. more money. But right. Yeah. So based on that, based on what you just said, every man out there should become an entrepreneur because you will have a lot of ego deaths. <laughs> yeah, that's that's for sure. That, that That is for sure. I mean, I do think that we're all given a few opportunities in this lifetime because pain is just like an inherent part of life. We're all sure. given a few opportunities in this lifetime to have this ego death. Yeah. Right? But most people want to avoid it. And you even pointed it out, right? A lot of people use plant medicine in an attempt to actually bypass it. They yeah. think it's they think it's serving them in it, but at the end of the day it's it's a hallucinogenic or it's you know it's a, it's a drug. So yeah. on some level it allows them to kind of bypass that pain. It can be helpful. It is a tool, but when used with uh, obviously discernment and in moderation, and so I, I just think most men, they don't dive into the pain, they avoid it. And this is where like coping mechanisms come into play, like pornography or video games or drugs or alcohol. But there's also more sinister ones. There's noble coping mechanisms like working out or your job, you know, or yeah. careta- caretaking. Oh. Yeah, those, those are completely, yeah, those are easily addictive mechanisms that you can use to bypass and shield yourself from growth. For sure. Totally. The bodybuilding world is littered with it. Um, we see it. I see it more often in women than I do men, obviously with child rearing. A lot of them will use the children to protect them from actually growing and 
and and actually um, cre creating growth through those trauma and the shadows and stuff. So they use that totally. as a protection mechanism. So yeah. no, man, that's a brilliant brother. Brilliant. I love, I love this conversation. It has flown by, man. This has been really beautiful. I think that there is, I mean, I'm going to be re-listening to this because there's so much good stuff that you put out. So I truly appreciate you. I appreciate your time, man. Can you let everybody know, and we'll link this all in the show notes, but let everybody yeah. know like where they can reach out to you, be part of your ecosystem and anything yep. you got going on that maybe they can look at getting into here in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. So Instagram or my website is probably the best way. I am Jake Kaufman, K-A-U-F-F-M-A-N. JacobKaufman.com is my website. Otherwise, I, I do have a men's personal development and spiritual development retreat coming up February 1st through the 5th. Uh, so it, it's not a business mastermind, to be clear. Uh, it, it's very, very much focused on, on this ego death because it's kind of a constant process that we need to come back to, right? Yeah. And so it's very focused on, on personal development, spiritual development for entrepreneurs, for executives, and high achieving men who are you know, committed to going deeper within themselves and deeper with each other so that they can reach the next level in fulfilling their potential. Mm, beautiful, brother. I'll be checking that out myself, man. That sounds like it'd be a good time. I yeah, that. I would love to. It's our, it'll be our fifth year doing it. So, you know, we've been, Beautiful. we've been doing it for quite a while and really excited to, to go back. Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, everybody listening, make sure you guys check that out. Make sure you obviously support Jake. He's an amazing man in this world, obviously doing great work and doing it from, you know, the deepest genuine place and really obviously just like profound insight, brother, just really profound insight. One of my, my favorite episodes here, just mm -hmm. talking to you and chatting about this stuff. Um, your last question, brother, is what yeah. does the art of masculinity mean to you? Oof. I, I would have to say dying. And by dying, I mean the metaphorical death that we all must go through in order to reach our God-given potential and our higher purpose. Mm, I love we, that. And I we, weakness is the way because you have to become weak if you're going to die. I love that, brother. I love that. That is going to be one of my favorite ones as well. Dude, great time, Beautiful. Jake. I appreciate you, brother. And to everybody listening, as always, remember to drop the ego and stay humble. Until next time.